0: Good morning. Well, it's time to get into Ruth, Ruth chapter two. Um, if you're here for our morning service, then it is a good morning to you, isn't it? Um, I hope you're looking forward to this second chapter, but maybe you were at the 11 o'clock nativity service. If you were, I hope you had a good time. I hope it was a lot of fun, or maybe you're just catching up another time. Well, thanks for joining us and thanks for catching up. I hope it's, um, I hope it is enjoyable as we get through Ruth chapter two. So let me read it to us. Um, but before we do that, just a quick recap. What happened in chapter one? If you missed it or you've forgotten, well, chapter one was full of darkness. Naomi had a really tragic time. Her life was a, was a tragedy. Um, she had gone away from Bethlehem, her hometown, because of a famine, with her husband and two sons. And in a faraway country of Moab, which was not a friendly place, she had been bereaved. Elimelech, her husband, had died. Her two sons had died after marrying Moabite women, but not having any children. Her life was full of sadness and so she turns around and comes back home, back home to Bethlehem. One of her daughters-in-law leaves her, takes the sensible way out and goes back home. But Ruth stayed with Naomi. That was the beautiful part of last chapter. Ruth's speech to Naomi where she commits herself to her, says, I want to be with you. I want to serve your God. I want your people to be my people. I want to come home with you. You can go back and read that if you want to catch up. But Naomi is still full of darkness. Even with Ruth at her side, she comes home under a real cloud and she she just can't see. She can't see the light that's about to dawn. She feels like God's hand is heavy on her and she can't see anything good. And so then we get to chapter two. So let's read this. And as we do, let's look out for three things I wanna point out today. First is a woman of action. Second is a man of honor. And the third is the God of mysterious, surprising kindness. So of a man a woman and God's mysterious, surprising kindness. Ruth chapter two. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the women are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and homeland and came to live with a people who didn't know you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I don't have even the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she gathered and it amounted to about an efer, It's about 13 kilos, about 30 pounds. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough at the meal. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Shall we pray and ask God to help us and then we'll get stuck into the story. Lord God, we thank you so much for such a beautiful story. Thank you that it's full of lessons for us, most of all full of grace for us. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand what you have for us today and to live it out for your glory. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at a few characters. Like I said, a woman of action. That's who Ruth is, isn't it? Um, Right from the very beginning, she doesn't know what to do except the next thing, the next good thing. That's all she has to do. She doesn't make a big plan for the future. She just takes the initiative to get out and get some food. Naomi is struggling. Naomi's really feeling the heaviness of her situation. And Ruth could be too. I mean, she's been widowed. She's far away from home. She could be forgiven for for moping in a corner for a while, but she doesn't. She gets up and goes out to do what she has to do to get food for Naomi. And she works really hard, doesn't she? In verse seven, um, the overseer reports that she's come into the field. She's been here since the morning. She's only rested for a little time in the shelter. She's been working really hard. At the end of the day, she comes back with a lot of grain, She's working hard. She's working with initiative. She's just doing the godly next step. Maybe we can pause there for a minute and just learn a a lesson for us. If you're a Christian, how do you plan your life? Maybe you're at the beginning of retirement, trying to plan the next stage, the next chapter for you. Maybe um, Maybe you've had a big diagnosis recently and it's changed the way you think about the future. I mean, how do you face that? Maybe you've got big decisions to come up. You're choosing your GCSEs, thinking about heading off to university, thinking about a career, a job that you'll do, thinking about starting a family, thinking about what your children are gonna do. And you've got all these plans and things that we can often sometimes think 15 steps ahead and it just gets too much for us. Well, it's a good thing to plan. We'll see that next week, actually. It's a really good thing to plan, but we should hold those plans in open hands like Ruth does here. I mean. Things have turned out very differently to imagine how she would have planned her life as a little girl. She's far away from home in a strange place following a completely different God to the one that she grew up with. She would never have planned this. So she's held her plans in open hands and just does the godly next step. Do you see that? She isn't concerned about 15 steps down the road, what might happen with this, with that. Um, We struggle with that because we have so many choices. There's a thing that I think psychologists have identified that's called choice paralysis now. In our culture, because we, we have a, the freedom to choose in absolutely everything from you know breakfast cereal to your career to any, anything. And so we're often paralyzed and we don't feel very free. Choice paralysis is a thing. And so we struggle to choose. We struggle to know what to do next. Well, Ruth says, Ruth teaches us, just take the godly next step. Don't worry about the future. Let God worry about that. You just do what's in front of you. And do it in a way that honours him. Take the godly next step. What else can we learn from Ruth? Well, she's a woman who's full of humility, isn't she? In the way that she works, in the way that she's thoughtful about others, the way that she packs up her leftover lunch to take home to her mother-in-law. She's thoughtful and humble. And you see that most of all in verse 10, where she bows down with her face to the ground when Boaz comes to talk to her. And she says, why have I found favour in your eyes? Such favour in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner, Why would you notice me? She's full of humility. How can we define humility? Well, there's a picture of it. I think you could define it as the opposite of a sense of entitlement. Do you know what I mean by entitlement? As in where you feel that you have a right to everything. Where you feel that you're hard done by when things don't go your way. When you feel that everybody else should be giving you what you deserve. And that can can wreak havoc, especially on Christmas, can't it? Where where a gift list can become a, a gift In kind of insisting that I have these things and I'm going to get grumpy and moody and angry if I don't get them. A sense of entitlement can turn gifts into into really horrible things. Um, Or family arguments around the table, around Christmas time, that turn the joy of Christmas into kind of another heavy heart. That can often be about entitlement because this person hasn't spoken to me as they should have done, or that person used this tone of voice, or they said, or didn't do this, or didn't. And we have a sense of entitlement that can really drag us down but Ruth isn't like that. Ruth is full of humility. She doesn't feel like she deserves anything and so her life is full of joy and she's able to receive the kindness of others. She's a humble, humble woman and humble in meeting Boaz. What's Boaz all about? Um, Well, Boaz is a man of real character. Boaz is a man Right in verse 1, he's introduced to us as a man of standing. Now, that word could mean a man of kind of social standing. I mean, like well thought of, good reputation. Uh, it could also mean a man who's wealthy and has a lot um, a lot of resources. It could also be a man of valor, as in a man of standing in his strength as a warrior. And Boaz is probably all three of those put together. You can see that in the story, can't you? That he's a man who's wealthy. He owns the fields and lots of other fields, presumably. He's a man of of good standing a man of real character that people look up to and he's a man a man of bravery because you see it would have taken ruth some guts to go out into the field on her own as a woman in these days if you flip back to the book before ruth that is called the judges it's full of horrific stories horrific stories of the kinds of things that people were doing when the very last verse of judges says this in those days israel had no king And everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes and ended up doing horrible things to each other. But not Boaz. Boaz uses his strength, uses his position, uses his standing to raise up others, to make other people safe, to look after and provide and give to others rather than to take. He's he's a man of social standing, but he doesn't use that standing to stand on others. He uses it to raise them up to raise Ruth up and say, no, don't bow before me, stand up, go and work, feed your family, have the honour of labour and have more than you need. Boaz is a brave man, he's a generous man, he's a kind man and that word kind is a really important one. It's one that's all over this book, all over this chapter and all over the Bible. It's a word that sums up who God is because you see, Boaz points us to God. That word kindness, it's the word hesed, if you know your Bible words. It's um, it's kind of always and forever, never, never giving up, always present, always there, love that God has for us. Never giving up, always and forever, kindness upon kindness upon kindness, that he keeps giving, even when things don't quite seem like that. And you can see that here, can't you? Not just from Boaz, but from God. What does Naomi say? In verse 20, when she hears that it was Boaz, who Ruth just so happened to go to his field, she hears it was Boaz and she goes, Wow, God hasn't stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. The clouds begin to break for her. She begins to see God's hand in all the little details of life. That she had planned her way, but God had had directed her steps that Ruth had planned her way at the beginning of the day, but God had directed her steps into the field. So you get that comedy line in verse three. As it turned out, (laughs) it just so happened uh, that she goes to Boaz's field and who's Boaz? He's related, related to them. So he can rescue them. He can do something about their situation. Um, Who's Boaz? He's a good man. He's the one who's gonna bring God's kindness into the lives of poor old Naomi and Ruth. And Naomi can't believe it, can she? Um, She hears about this and she starts to praise God. You can imagine her. I imagine her. I was talking about this with Ange the other day, if you know her. And in her accent, kind of Ammonford accent, um, you can just imagine Ruth saying, uh, Naomi, as soon as she hears it's Boaz saying, never, I can't really do the accent, but well, 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 never. Boaz's field. Can you believe it? That God had woven it all together, had guided Ruth's steps so that she didn't just go to any, I mean, she could pick any field and she went to Boaz's field. God has been working in the little details behind everything to show his kindness and goodness to the people who trust in him. That's what Boaz says to Ruth, isn't it? That's how he answers the question. Why have I found favour in your eyes? Well, really, because you've hidden under God's wings. I've been told about all that you've done for your mother in law since the death of your, of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Why is God so kind and good? Why is he working all these things for the good of those who love him? Well, because you've come to hide under his wings. You've come to be in his presence, to be close to him, to be part of his people. And that is where God takes care of people. You've hidden under his wing. And so he has hidden you under his wing and provides for you like a mother hen. But there's another way you could read those verses. You could read them the other way around almost. That, that Ruth is experiencing God's kindness as a kind of payment for doing good, right? That's almost what Boaz says. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. So, so could it be that the way we get God's kindness is by doing lots of good things for other people, by looking after widows and orphans, by, um, by caring for our family, for people who don't have anybody else to care for themselves, by being sacrificial. If we do that kind of thing, does God, then, have to repay us? Are we, do we kind of put him in our debt? Are we entitled to his goodness because we've been good? Kind of as his employees, you know, we do some good work. He gives us what we deserve as wages. Is that, what, that, what, is that what's going on here? I don't think it is. You could read it that way. But I think, really, where Boaz ends up saying, you've come to shelter under his wings, that gives us the key to it all. Now, this is an act of grace that Ruth was good to Naomi because God had already been good to her. She was pouring out to Naomi and to the people around her what God had already given to her, what she'd already found in him by coming to shelter under his wing. So maybe we could imagine her being back in Moab, marrying into Naomi and Nilemelech's family, marrying Marlon, and just finding a God who was different to the gods that she'd grown up with, a God who was really good, a God who didn't suck the life out of you and demand and demand and demand and 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 just stand over you as a judge waiting to punish you if you put one foot wrong no she had found a God who was kind who poured out his goodness who wrapped his arms around you like a mother hen she'd found this God a God who was just different gravy to any other God that she had ever known and she'd said I want that to be my God I want your family to be my family I want to be I want to be where he is I want him to be my God. And so she's sheltered under his wings and now he has taken her. Worked in all of those little steps, those little decisions where she's taken a step towards him each time. Each godly next step, he's taken her under his wings and kept her safe and provided for her through Boaz. Boaz says, it's not really me being kind to you, it's God through me. But here's the question, a lesson we can learn from Boaz. How do we become like him? I mean, think of what Boaz was like. He was a man who was not just generous, but really took a risk in looking after Ruth. I wonder if you notice that Ruth keeps getting called the Moabite, the Moabite woman, it's three or four times in this passage. In verse two, Ruth the Moabite. In verse six, twice in one sentence, the overseer says she's the Moabite who came from Moab, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, with Naomi. Moabites, especially Moabite women, were, were really looked down upon. They were dangerous women. They were the women back in the old stories who had seduced led away led astray some of the men of israel so that they missed out on god's blessing and so moabite women were like they were the ones that you would warn your sons away from when you were giving them the chat you don't go near moabite women and so this moabite woman young eligible comes into town and you can feel the frosty reception can you feel it they just go silent at the end of chapter one nobody says a word to naomi and ruth Everybody's gossiping behind their backs. Nobody's helping them out until they meet Boaz. You see the risk that Boaz is taking? He looks over the field and says, who's that? And as soon as he finds out who it is, he doesn't push her off to the next field. He wraps his arms, his wings around her and says, come close. I don't care what people think of me. I'm gonna soak up your shame. I'm gonna take what, whatever's coming to me and I'm gonna do good to you instead. Boaz soaks up her shame. I wonder where he learned that. I reckon he learned it from his mum. Do you know who Boaz's mum was? Uh, Niche bit of Bible trivia for you. Boaz's mum was Rahab. You can go and read the genealogy in Matthew. That's where we find that out. Um, Or go back and read the stories in Joshua chapter two, you'll find Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute from Canaan, not a person from Israel, not a particularly kind of uh, person that you would want to spend time with if you were in good, polite Israel society, she would be somebody that they would have looked down on. You can imagine maybe Boaz as a little boy walking through the marketplace and the funny looks that people would give his mum, the funny looks that they would give his dad, the conversations that would all of a sudden go silent when she walked in the room. Boaz knows what it's like to have a mother who was an outsider, who was a foreigner, who didn't quite belong, and so he sees Ruth. He sees this woman who doesn't quite belong, this woman who's on the outside, and he says, no, You are going to come inside. You are going to be with my people. You are going to be provided for and looked after with me. You are going to come close and I will soak up the shame. I don't care what it costs. I'm going to pay. Do you see who Boaz points us towards? Do you see that Boaz is just such a clear picture of Jesus? That in all of the darkness of Advent, we're looking forward to the greater Boaz coming. In all the darkness of chapter 1, Boaz is the one who comes and brings the dawn. He's the one. Jesus is the one who goes to the cross and soaks up all of our sin and shame, who takes everything that you've ever done that has made you feel rotten, everything that anybody has ever done and stuck to you, any reputation that you have, whether it's fair or not fair, anything dark in your life, Jesus took it at the cross and died with it, soaked up your shame, drank up that venom, died with it and then rose again to give you your life back, to say, you belong here, you are mine and I am yours. Come home. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what Boaz is doing. So here's the question. Who are the Moabites in Ammonford? Who are the people who are, who are just kind of on the outside, who don't really belong? Uh, there might be all sorts of people like that. Maybe it's you. Maybe you feel like an outsider. You've just recently moved here. Maybe it was decades ago you moved in. You still feel like an outsider. Well, can we, as a church, be a church of Boaz? Boaz-hearted people? Jesus-hearted people who look for the outsiders, who look for the people that don't belong, who look for those that you might feel initially just a bit embarrassed to be spending time with, but who say, no, I'm going to have Jesus' heart. I'm going to be a Boaz. I'm going to wrap my arms, the arms of my community, my church around these people, and welcome you in. Who who are those people? Who are the Moabites in Ammanford? Maybe if you're a Welsh speaker, is it the English for you? The people who, you know, with all their money have come and bought those nice houses and... Boosted up property prices, so our children and grandchildren are going to have a harder time, and we just don't feel like we're particularly comfortable with these people outsiders who come in. Or maybe you are one of those English people, and you feel you feel like that towards the Welsh who kind of look down on you or who don't welcome you so much because you don't quite speak their language. I don't know. There's the Welsh and English thing that we have here, or people from all sorts of different countries who live in a, um, who live in our communities, but who are in our church. Maybe it's people who are kind of moral Moabites, people who, who are different from us in all kinds of different ways that we feel awkward about. Who are the Moabites in your life, in your family, in your community, on your street? How could you be a Boaz to them this week? Caring for them, looking after them, saying, no, 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 you are not an outsider anymore. You belong, and I'm gonna make sure that you know it. Could you be a Boaz this week? Could you pray? Could we pray? That we would be a church full of Boaz-hearted, Jesus-hearted people who welcome in outsiders. Well, we've seen we've seen Ruth, a woman of action. We've learned some lessons from her, take the godly next step. We've seen Boaz, the man of honor, who soaks up people's shame and provides and gives generous kindness to everybody. And we've seen that behind it all, there's the God of surprising, special, unexpected, mysterious kindness. Well, I wonder if you're going through a really difficult time at the moment. It's just hard to see. Um, it's hard to see how God could be like this. It's hard to see how he could put back together all the pieces that have fallen apart. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in chapter one and you can't see the light. Well, can I read you some words? Um, some words from an, uh, an old, old hymn. Um, these were written by a man called William Cowper. He was a man who struggled with grinding depression through his whole life, who attempted suicide three times but who trusted Jesus, he had a really difficult life, but he had a good friend called John Newton who kept him going and he wrote this hymn. This is for you. If you're feeling like you're stuck in chapter one, like you can't see how things are ever gonna be put back together again, like how could God make everything sad come untrue? How could he work good for those who love him out of your situation? Well, let me read this to you as an encouragement. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds uh, minds of never-failing skill, he fashions up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Take courage. Those clouds that we dread are big with mercy and will break with blessings on your head. That's what the story of Ruth teaches us. That's what the story of Jesus' death and resurrection teaches us, that whatever struggle you're walking through, whatever dark valley, come under the shadow of his wings and know provision. Come under the shadow of his wings and know kindness. Come under the shadow of his wings and know freedom, The freedom to live in his presence. Amen.